This evening we, uh, we're going to read through Mark chapter 4, the first 20 verses of that chapter, and that'll be our passage for the sermon this evening as well. So if you'd like to follow along, feel free to, uh, to do that, or you can just listen, uh, whichever you prefer. Mark chapter 4, the first 20 verses. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, said he got into the boat, he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things and parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and he, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path. Where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So we're continuing our series of sermons tonight through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, what I have said in the past and will continue to say, it's a story of a suffering king. And throughout this story, Mark and his gospel, he's answering two basic questions for us about the suffering king. Why does he suffer and to what end? And we're about a quarter of the way through Mark's gospel and the drama is thickening. We've seen so far the conflict begin to increase between Jesus especially and the religious leaders. And there are two themes that I just want to point out by way of introduction. There have been a wide variety of responses to Jesus. Even at this early stage in his ministry, 
On one end of the spectrum, we see the enthusiasm and the commitment of his first followers, his disciples and his apostles, and even evidenced in, in the many crowds that flocked to him again and again. This great enthusiasm among the people. But then we've noticed the, the exact opposite on the other end of the spectrum. That the religious leaders of the day, and even the Herodians, the political leaders of the day, they're plotting his destruction. And the religious leaders in just the passage we looked at last week are even accusing him and saying that his entire ministry is demonic. The responses are extremely different and anywhere in between. And as a result of that, as we enter into chapter 4, and just before chapter 4, we begin to see that there are outsiders to Jesus, and there are insiders to Jesus, and it's completely unexpected. That the insiders are those who listen to him, no matter what path or walk of life they're from. And ironically, those who really fall into the category of outsiders are those who you would think would be on the inside, the religious leaders. And even at the end of chapter 3, Jesus' family, his own mother and brothers, are pictured as on the outside. And so the central idea here, as we enter into chapter 4, is how do you listen? How do you hear what Jesus has to say. In this chapter, the verb to hear is used no less than 13 times. The central idea is how do you hear Jesus? In other words, this passage is a hearing test for us. And his purpose in this test or in this passage, and particularly in this parable, is to say this to us, that any hearing that fails to bear gospel fruit really is not true hearing. If you want to know, are you hearing Jesus in the depths of your being? Not just the words, but it's taking root in your life. There must be gospel fruit. Therefore, what I want to do is I want to try to answer three questions for us from this passage. I want to ask, how does Jesus test our hearing? Why does Jesus test our hearing? And then lastly, what do you need to do to pass this hearing test? So first, let's look at how does Jesus test our hearing? Jesus here, this is the first section of Extended teaching that Mark gives us. In fact, there's only one other section, and that's in chapter 13. And undoubtedly, when you look at all of the Gospels, the most common form of teaching that Jesus uses is the parables. And it's worth just commenting briefly on what are parables? How do they function? What are they intended to do? They are what I would call indirect forms of communication. There are brief stories that sneak up on you, as it were, and come in the back door. They're intended to come at something in your life, but also to teach you something about the kingdom of God. And when taken together, fundamentally reorients who you think you are, who you think God is, and what the good news of the kingdom amounts to. One writer puts it like this, that, Parables function as a lens 
that allows us to see the truth and to correct distorted vision. They allow us to see what we would otherwise not see. A parable's ultimate aim is to awaken insight, to stimulate the conscience, and to move to action. And so, what we see here is that Jesus begins his teaching. He's described here as teaching these great crowds, and he teaches them parables. And the very first one, or the one that Mark focuses in on, as sort of the first among all of these other parables is this parable of the sower. And we'll, we'll get to the details of the parable in a moment, but it's important for us to, to, to begin really down in verse 10, 11, and 12. Because Jesus, after he has told this parable to this great crowd along the sea, he's alone now with his disciples and those who are with him, who are following him, Maybe not as apostles, but those who continue to spend time and stay with him. And they ask him about these parables. And his response is, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And at first read, I think when you read that, it sounds like, This just just sounds awful. This sounds like Jesus is deliberately telling these parables to keep people from hearing the good news, from understanding it, and from following Him, and finding grace and mercy and forgiveness. So I I want you to see that really what Jesus is doing here when He quotes this passage, it's from Isaiah chapter 6. And I don't want to take the time to go into all of the detail, but suffice it to say, this passage is quoted again and again in the Old Testament and again in the New Testament in various forms as sort of the the passage to describe the hardness of heart of God's people. That when Isaiah, this appears in Isaiah chapter 6, it appears in a context where God's people are hard-hearted towards God. They won't listen to him. And God says, who will go for me? Who will proclaim my message to my people? And Isaiah says, I'll go. And what Mark is doing and Jesus is doing in using this passage is Jesus is saying, there has been a long-standing history of God's people hardening themselves to his message. And a long-standing tradition and process of God sending His prophets to proclaim His good news to them again and again. And Jesus stands in that line. In fact, He is the last and the ultimate and the true prophet. And Jesus, in quoting this, is saying, in effect, the time has come for you to hear God's message. Do not let your hardness of heart persist. You need to know that you hear this good news. In other words, this is a challenge on the one hand, and it's an invitation to turn from hardness of heart and to repent and to find grace and mercy. Let me just give you one example of how this works. Not only here do we have it in the parable of the sower, 
But there is a famous story in 2 Samuel chapter 12 where the prophet Nathan shows up to David. It's after David had schemed a plan to superintend Uriah the Hittite's death. Now, maybe you know who Uriah is, maybe you don't. But Uriah was the husband of Bathsheba. And David wanted Bathsheba. And he plotted a plan. He got Uriah killed in battle. And took Bathsheba to be his wife. And as the story unfolds, David seemingly is unaware of the horrendous nature of his actions. And his plotting and his scheming. And And prophet Nathan shows up. And he tells David a story. He says, David, there were two men. There was a rich man. There was a poor man. And the rich man had many, many flocks. Many flocks. The poor man had one lamb. as an ewe lamb, a beautiful lamb, that he treated almost like his own child. And there was a traveler coming. And David, or the, the, David, the, the, the rich man in, in the story, is going to have a meal for him. And instead of taking one of his own lambs from his vast flocks, he goes and takes the one lamb from the poor man and slaughters that lamb and feeds it to this traveler. At the end of the story, when Nathan tells the story, David is outraged. He said, that man deserves to die. And at that point, the prophet Nathan looks at David and says, David, you are that man. And it devastates David. All of a sudden, David, through this parable, sees what he could not otherwise see. And that's, what you, that's why we're, we're looking. That's what Jesus is doing in this parable. Jesus wants you to see what you otherwise cannot see about your hearing your openness to hearing, your willingness to hear Jesus and his message of the good news of the kingdom. So that's how Jesus tests our hearing. He tests us with parables. But why does he do that? The reason he does it is that it's very simple. It is possible, as we'll see. It is possible to think that you hear Jesus but you really don't. That is the hard edge, even the scary message of this passage. Jesus is saying to you and me, it is possible, perhaps even likely, that many of us here think we hear Jesus and we do not. Now, how do you figure that out? How does this parable help us to see that? You see, the parable of the sower serves as a mirror to show several different ways that look very different, but all amount to the same conclusion, that we are either potentially dismissive of Jesus or our hearing is merely superficial. And there are three ways that he shows us here of hearing that all look different but fall drastically short of the hearing that Jesus is calling you to and that he's looking for. The first 
kind of hearing. Look with me in verses, this is really all in verses 15 through 19. The first kind of hearing he tells us about in interpreting this parable is the, the hearing of, of the path. There is a path, there is a sower, and he's out sowing, and he scatters seed along the path, and Jesus describes those who are along the path. He says, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. It finds no root at all. What's happening here? Here I think we need to drill down a little bit. When he says Satan takes away the word, we need to think about how does the Bible tell us, or what does the Bible tell us about the way Satan works? Satan tempts and he lies. He tempts and he lies. And the thing about temptation that is so treacherous is it is always powerful and it's always plausible. It's always powerful and it's always plausible and it's always intended to get you to ask the one basic question, did God really say? Did God really say that he's good? Did God really say that he'll take care of me? Did God really say that he will forgive me for all my sin? Did he God really say that one day he will make everything right? That when Satan comes along and takes the word, it comes in the form of temptation and lies, of power and plausibility. But then there's the rocky ground. He says, these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Here is an example of those who hear and initially are impressed, are taken in, even find joy and hope in what they hear. But when circumstances in life, or particularly opposition to naming the name of Jesus, enduring the costs of what it would mean to follow Jesus, that joy quickly evaporates. And they fall away. There never was root. This is a a hard teaching. It's essentially a way of saying that Christianity had become a means to an end, not an end in itself. And then Jesus describes the thorns. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. Here is an example where the the word does not bear fruit because we love other things, even good things, too much. It's not the circumstances that you face, but it's your own heart. Paul, in in Colossians chapter 3, talks about coveting as idolatry. Coveting is, is, if you ever thought about the Ten Commandments as merely external, 
Once you get to the 10th commandment on coveting, you can't, you can't ever say that they're, ex, they're external commands anymore. Because coveting goes to the heart. And here, Jesus is saying, it's possible for you to hear the word, but your heart be in love with something other than the word. Something other than God and his gospel. And I have to confess, when I read this, it's terrifying to me. Because I so in so many ways look at my own life and think, there's just not fruit where I wish there was. And I'm confronted with, do I hear Jesus? Am I hearing him? Is there fruit? Is, is this word, this good news of grace and mercy and hope and salvation, is it sinking in and taking root and beginning to bear fruit. More and more and more and more of it. 30, 60, 100 fold. But then notice in contrast to those three ways of hearing. There is a fourth. In verse 20. Those that were sown on the good soil. Are the ones who hear the word. And accept it. And bear fruit. 30 fold, 60 fold and 100 fold. See. Here's something you need to understand about the kingdom of God in this parable. It is a kingdom of the word. The power of God's kingdom is located in his word that he has given to you. Jesus is the final true prophet. He is ensured that you have his words. It is life-giving word. It creates new life. It creates fruit that otherwise would be a desert in your life. This parable shows you, you cannot bear fruit in your own strength. It is only by virtue of God working by His Spirit through His Word that you will bear fruit in your life. Now, that should be deeply humbling and at the same time, Very, very encouraging. So the question for you is, are you growing? Do you think you hear God's word? And if you do think that, why do you say that? Is the word of God putting down roots in your heart that enable you to bear fruit? Let me ask you, here are some further questions to ask yourself. In light of the different kinds of soil... That Jesus lists here. How do you fare against temptation? How you fare against temptation is a telltale sign of whether or not you are hearing God's word. How do you fare in the midst of suffering and trial, especially when it means naming Jesus as your Savior will cost you something? How do you fare in enjoying good things without them becoming ultimate things? All of those questions are ways to get at how you hear the good news of the gospel and the degree to which it's taking root in your life. You see, what I want you to hear here is that the point that Jesus is making, the point is fruitfulness, not perfection. 
That's why I believe he says here 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. The idea here is, is there fruit in your life in an increasing measure? Or another way to put it is, do you care about the fruit of the gospel in your life? Let me ask it another way. Does it bother you when you read the scriptures or you see the life of Jesus laid out in front of you in the Bible? Does it bother you when you see dead fruit or no fruit? See, as important as it is to test our hearing, to ask ourselves these hard questions, I don't want to leave you there. We also need to see, well, what do you need to do to pass this test, this hearing test? Look with me here in verse 20. The first step to pass this test, it's found in hearing, it's found in accepting, and then it's found in obeying. When Jesus here says, bear fruit, He uses a word here that in other contexts is the same idea as obedience. That what Jesus is saying, the thing that you must do, you must hear him. But not just what he says, you must accept it. You must lay hold of it. Take it into your life. And then put it into practice. An obvious parallel here is the book of James. That faith leads to doing. That without the fruit, you need to ask yourself, do I hear Jesus? Have I understood it? So what does this look like? What does it look like to hear, to accept, and then to obey? Uh, Most commentators would, would say that Mark's gospel is patterned after Peter's letters, 1 and 2 Peter. And so I'm going to take you to 2 Peter chapter 1. About what does this fruit look like? What does it look like to bear the fruit of hearing and accepting Jesus' message? He tells us in chapter 1, in light of the good news of the gospel, all that God has given us in Christ, everything we need for life and godliness, he says this. He says, bearing fruit looks like you add to your faith virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Then listen to what he says. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the question. Why do we fail to increase in those things? And Peter tells us the answer in the next verse. He says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. What's he saying? It's very simple but incredibly important. What Peter is saying and Jesus is saying in this parable to you, the way, the reason that we lack these qualities is we forget the gospel. That's why. The reason that we fail to hear, that we fail to bear fruit, 
is we forget the good news of the gospel. You forget that you've been cleansed from your sin. You forget or fail to hear even for the first time maybe that God so loved the world that He sent His Son to save sinners. That's why we fail to bear this fruit. We fail to hear and it take root and change us from the inside out. And see, here's the thing. You will never hear this Jesus or accept Him or obey Him unless you first see Jesus hearing for you. I want to show you Jesus passes this hearing test for you. And only as you see that will you hear Him and find the good news to follow after Him. Listen to this. When Jesus says this parable to you, Jesus tells us that He did not come to do His own will, but He came to do the one, the will of Him who sent Him. Jesus withstood the schemes of Satan. We've already noticed that earlier in Mark chapter 1, that Jesus came to undo everything that we got wrong. Jesus withstood the temptations and lies of Satan for us. He didn't just experience trial and persecution. He endured the cross and despised its shame. Jesus wasn't lured into the good things of this world of power and money and anything else you want to put in, fill in the blank with. But nor did he despise them. Jesus remained singularly committed to his Father's call on his life. He was obedient unto death. See, what I want you to see is unless you apply the gospel to your own life in this way, passing this test will always fail. You never will pass it. You see, it's not enough to hear what he says you must also rest in what He's done for you. And when you hear Jesus, you hear someone who has come to do for you what you could never do. At the very same time, Jesus is telling you these stories, particularly this parable, to help you to see what kind of soil you are so that you would begin to see what kind of Savior you really need. And that He is that Savior for you. So not only does the first step of how do you pass this test that you need to hear Him, you need to accept Him, you need to follow Him, but even more than that, you need to receive Him, rest upon Him. And then you need to do what we read here in verse 10, that when He was alone, those around Him, they came to Him, they asked Him, How do you hear Jesus in a way that will bear fruit? You need to be with Him. You need to abide with Him. He needs to become the center of your life. He needs to be the one, when you are alone, that you go to. That you cling to. John chapter 15 verse 5 says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from from me, you can do nothing.
So here's what we've done. We, we've looked at we've looked at how Jesus tests our hearing. We've looked at why Jesus tests our hearing. And then we try to answer, what do you need to do to pass the test? So l- let me just finish by asking you this. How'd you do? How are you doing with this test that Jesus puts in your lap tonight? Are you worried? Are you afraid? Are you hard? Are you angry? Are you ashamed? Whatever and wherever you find yourself and asking yourself how you're doing with this test, what I want you to leave here thinking about is Jesus is a Savior who has come. He has passed this test. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us about when Jesus died and rose again, he's described as the first fruits. In the background of this passage is a harvest of enormous magnitude. What I want you to see, Jesus here is calling you into the new life he alone can give. And he is so committed to you enjoying that new life that he came to suffer and to die and to rise again so that you could enter into the first fruits, this harvest that he is in the business of bringing about and will one day complete when he comes back. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that as we continue to look at this passage and wrestle with its claims that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us the humility to listen to what you're saying in this story, and that it would work on us in the same way that Nathan's story did to David, and that it would lead us to confession and to repentance and to new life, that we would experience the good news and the hope of the gospel that you alone can bring about. So, Father, we ask that you would do all of that for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.